0: You are listening to an After Dinner Conversation magazine podcast. After Dinner Conversation believes humanity is improved by ethics and morals grounded in philosophical truth, and that truth is discovered through intentional reflection and respectful debate. In order to facilitate this process, we have created a growing series of print books, a monthly short story magazine, and two different podcasts. This podcast, Philosophy Ethics Short Story Audiobooks, provides readings of stories that have appeared in our magazine, and we discuss them in our companion podcast, Philosophy Ethics Short Story Discussions. We hope you'll continue the discussion with friends, family, and students. Or head over to the comments section on our website or Facebook page. And please subscribe to our podcast, share it on social media, and suggest it to friends. Thank you for supporting us through your magazine subscriptions and through Patreon.com. Links are in the description. I'm Tina Forsey, an acquisition editor at After Dinner Conversation. This story is written by Mina Ikimoto-Gosh and was published in our August 2021 magazine. The Dividual The first Dividual I saw, I was six, holding my uncle's hand in immigrations. Ahead of us was a group of seven men and women, blue masks covering their heads and shoulders. They carried between them a pale violet tree trunk, its roots bundled in a burlap sack. I'd never seen a individual's heart pillar before. Each person in that group had had a cord, violet and fleshy, connecting them to their tree. Sprouting from the smalls of their backs, they'd rippled like so many kite strings, and that should have been my clue that these people weren't people at all, but personas the personas of a individual human. Homo dividensis, the species of human with a different face for every facet of their existence. My uncle had caught me staring. They're not like us, he had said. It had been so easy to believe him then. In my final year as a medical student, I secured an elective placement in Splint, the individual city. I was to stay for that period with a individual junior doctor. A scar house had a pebbled front. Glass beads, fossils, and shells had been arranged in a swirling pattern so that the house could be identified at the touch of a individual tendril. Seizo Hanaoko, said the persona who opened the door. Yes, that's me. I bowed my head. Pleased to meet you, Dr. Sai. Thank you for arranging this opportunity for me. It's an opportunity for myself as much as for you. They broke into a smile that showed teeth and gums, the same pale violet as their skin. Lips, hair, and the houses of splint. Ascaris will do. The persona Ascaris Sai had presented to me was welcoming and interested, designed to make a good first impression of a professional competence, as well as friendliness. I stared. I couldn't help it. Oscaris's features shifted like the satellite footage of Mars' dunes. Their nose, cheekbones, profile rippled with the flux of anchor beneath their skin. My own face should have been still, but it didn't feel that way. The longer I stood on Oscaris' doorstep, the more conscious I became of the crowd I was behind my eyes. Parts of me squirmed to hide from Oscaris' studying gaze. Other parts urged me to give in to curiosity and step closer. Study back, like I'd come for. They're not like us. Ascarus laughed. It's not the done thing in Splint to show all of ourselves on meeting, either. Oh, right. They winked. My cheeks warmed. Call it a cultural taboo. I wouldn't expect it of one of our own so I wouldn't expect it of an undivided, even if you can't help but carry all your personas with you at once. That's very generous of you. It must be so difficult keeping them all separate. I should think I'd muddle them very quickly if I were an undivided. They held out their hand. I'll look forward to observing you, Cezo. Likewise. The price of my placement in splint was the agreement to be watched and studied. I took Ascarus's hand and paused. The average individual was six degrees cooler than the undivided human. Ascarus's hand didn't strike me as notably cooler than my own. My body temperature sat squarely in the middle, three degrees above a individual's, three below an undivided. I let go quickly, not because Ascarus's hand had the tenuous elasticity of a water balloon, but because they too paused, glancing down at our hands. In On the Origin of Species, Charles Darwin dedicated a whole chapter to the individual human. He wrote them to be a kind of land-dwelling octopus, pointing out as evidence the octopus' body-like shape of the individual heart pillar and the tentacular nature of the tendrils. At the ends of the first edition's illustrations, he had drawn doll-like miniature humans to represent their personas. Darwin had written that individuals had evolved humanoid features in parallel with undivided humans. The thought at the time had been that individuals were man-eaters, so the co-evolution had come about to lure unwary true humans into their lairs. It wasn't difficult to see why Darwin thought the individuals were sea creatures. Their blood salinity level was closer to seawater than undivided human plasma. They had neural tissue at the end of every tendril for storing personality quirks for individual personas. Their heart pillars were rooted in wells of seawater, as it was the seawater pumped around the tendrils that let them inflate and deflate their personas as needed. I thought Ascarus might test me on our physiological differences in my first morning studying how I might react when our differences were thrown into my face. Here are our differences, undivided student medic. Let me hear you preach that common humanity. But instead, Ascara simply poured tea for both of us, explained my role and responsibilities on my placement. Then, with a soft smile, began asking me about undivided society. They were curious about persona maintenance when individuals were at work. What happened, they asked, when a professional persona became muddled with a personal one? And how did society manage all the risks that entailed? I told them that society simply didn't. They wanted to know about undivided genders. What effect did the insistence that a person must state whether their personas were majority masculine or feminine in their codes of conduct have upon the community? Individuals were more often blended multitudes of what to undivided eyes, would be masculine and feminine personas. They categorized themselves only in reproductive relationships, either as micro-gametic or macro-gametic. I myself had ticked a box at immigrations to indicate I was a micro-gametic persona, majority male, with admittedly somewhat mixed feelings. I contributed what I could. I didn't think Ascaris was entirely convinced by my answers. At length, I asked, Ascaris, Can a persona be cut away? Mascaras paused. Do you mean amputated deliberately? Yes. It was a regular process here up until the 19th century. It was seen as something of a community duty to sacrifice a persona to serving it. We used to use them as messengers between houses and run errands. We didn't always have a ready supply of Undivided's coming to splint for work, you know, especially when you all thought we'd drag you into our heart pillar wells to eat you alive. But how did it affect them? The unwanted persona? You, as a whole person, wouldn't it be like cutting away a piece of your mind? Some would call that a relief, said Oskaras quietly, before raising their voice again. If they're complex of character and mentally organized enough to have enough personas to make up for it, cutting one or two away shouldn't be an issue. Is it better to have more personas? Of course it is. The more distinct personas, the better managed a man's mind and their ability to adapt to circumstances and effectively organize their world. Then wouldn't those who cut off their personas be seen as a lesser human than before, I asked? And Oskaris frowned, their placid violet face shadowing. Or even less than human, if they don't have that many personas to start with. It's no longer the done thing, said Oscar sharply. It's not a question relevant to our times. It's taboo? They set down their cup. Do you know, Seiza, we used to have a theory before the sequencing that all of you undivided were the descendants of our abandoned personas? The worst parts of us, that were not only capable of surviving independently but breeding? Then, everything that your kind did to torment us was punishment for the cruel irresponsibility of our ancestors who chose the easy option every time it came to confronting the parts of themselves they liked least. I didn't know that. It made a cruel kind of sense. Well, I suppose we know better. Now we live with those parts of us, just as your kind do. My kind, eh? Huh? Have I said something wrong? I found a smile to wear for them, and we finished our meal in silence. In the Middle Ages, Christianity taught that the individuals were demons who wore human faces to seduce the undivided into unholy purposes. Priests were careful to note that the individuals' human faces and bodies were, without question, imperfect for true humans were created in God's image, and the devil could not possibly replicate God's work. I was 14 when DNA finally exposed our shared history. Genome sequencing not only uncovered that individuals were more closely related to us than the Neanderthals, but that Homo sapiens had interbred with individuals for millennia. Thousands of us could be hybrid humans, either living in secrecy or in ignorance of our heritage. Biology became our peace treaty. Medicine, our defense alliance. Individual populations had died of the Black Plague and the Spanish Flu, just as much as the undivided had. Both sides had simply pretended not to notice. In Splint, there was still a law against individuals treating the undivided, and vice versa. My placement was in a clinic attached to the hospital that oscars worked at. It was specifically for undivided visitors and immigrant workers. When I said I was staying with Oscaris and not in an undivided dorm, my colleagues, surprised, crowded me with questions. It's only been seven years since the sequencing, my supervisor Dietrich said. Most of the individuals here still think we're their unwanted cutoffs. They see us walking, and it's like one of us seeing a severed leg hopping down a road on its own. They're fine with us at a distance, but... Few would accept an undivided under their roof. I wondered what Ascaris wanted. What did they gain from my living with them? They watched me closely, questioned me constantly. I thought observation implied a cool scientific detachment, but the intensity of Ascaris' gaze and questions were neither cool nor detached. They'd ask me one moment about my persona management, then in the next about what it was like in my skin, in my mind, and how could I possibly bear to live the way I did in one body with one face. They acted astonished that I wasn't on the verge of tearing myself apart from being too many selves in one moment. My other colleague, Brady, leaned towards me. You wouldn't happen to have had a chance to see inside your doctor-sized pillar well, have you? Dietrich flinched. Brady raised his eyebrows. What, Dee? It's not like you're any less curious to find out what's down one of those pits. Henaoka here has got one right under his nose. It's not our business as undivided to know. What good would it do encouraging him? Dietrich turned and gripped my arm. Don't ever look down a individual's pillar well, Hanaoka. Why not? It's taboo. Even individuals don't look into each other's wells. It's not the done thing. Another taboo. I thought of what I knew of pillar wells. Ascarus's heart pillar, that tree trunk I had seen years ago, would be rooted in it, swimming in a lagoon of salt water, intended by the personas that weren't being used to engage with the world. Unlike an undivided body, if intruded upon, a heart pillar had no legs with which to jump up and run. I wondered what it might be like to see all of Ascarus' personas at once, to see every single side of them, not a piece of them, able to hide from me. I'd have all their secrets. I'd know them completely. No wonder they hid themselves in a pit. Ascarus walked with me to the clinic in the mornings. I, however, was the only one on the pavement. Ascaris sent out their persona, just as all the other individuals did, by the trellises that ran along the sides of buildings and spanned roads and wriggling bridges. Their tendril would weave through the trellises, like a flesh vine, until, on reaching the hospital, its end expanded into the six-foot-tall shape of Ascaris's chosen persona. In this way, Ascaris, three streets away from home, was still connected to their heart pillar. I knew where Ascaris' pillar well was. The well was at the entrance corridor's end. They had made no secret of it, only warning me to watch my footing if I happened to go that way. Buried in shadow, I couldn't see it even if I squinted, but I could smell it. Brackish water, as if over there was the end of a pier. It was not unpleasant. I took eight steps toward it, then nine. Then at ten, I could go no further. My stomach convulsed. My head throbbed. When Oscaris returned, they found me clinging to the toilet, retching into it. They disappeared. Then, moments later, cool glass pressed against the side of my face. I turned gratefully, accepting the offering as Oscaris tipped the glass against my lips. It was water the most refreshing water I had ever tasted. My head cleared instantly. When I looked up to thank them, Ascaris's ward-round persona was crouched beside me, all competence and gently smiling concern. Feel better now, Seizo? I don't know what was wrong with me. Ascaris raised their eyebrows. Really? Then maybe you should tell me what precisely you were doing before this began. Like you don't know. But I don't say so. I wanted to see what was in your pillar well. I went looking for it. Ah. Not strictly speaking true. Can you really call walking down a corridor to what you knew was at the end looking? But I wanted a reaction. I wanted Ascarus to recoil. Damn me as a violating intruder and throw me out maybe. Then, at last, I could be content in knowing I belonged nowhere. Ascarus regarded me with carefully schooled incomprehension. Then, slowly, something dawned in their eyes. You had a reaction to the well ward. They laughed, and I thought I heard a thorn in it, a burr of hurt. Well, Seizo, let this be a lesson to you. We individuals wouldn't have survived long as a species without a few defenses to our wells. You'll feel some nausea and maybe have a headache for another hour or two. But you'll be fine, I'm sure. You're not angry? This persona doesn't anger easily. So they were. They took my face in both hands, their touch without the undivided human's feverish burn I was used to. If you'd gotten any closer, what would have happened? Well... As an undivided human, you would have had concentrated hydrochloric acid squirted into your face. You might have had your head dissolved away. You might not have, of course. Their fingertips dug into my cheekbones. It felt like they were probing for something beneath my skin. But the wells of our hearts are not to be intruded upon thoughtlessly. Some parts of us aren't for others to see, are they? Ascaris's fingers trembled on, lifting away. We watched each other closer than before. It wasn't surprising. I had something to hide from Ascaris, and they were intelligent and interested. Something, however, changed that day I trespassed on the well wards. I began to see new sides and new faces of my individual host. I thought they might be experimenting on me. Experiment? Me? They grinned when I confronted them. How so, Hanaoka? You've been trying different personas on me, seeing if I can tell. Ho-ho, is that what you think I've been doing? Am I wrong? No. But a little bit, yes. I'd seen this persona before. It liked to poke at my patients and laugh loudly about it. It made a sport of shooting drain flies with a rubber band finger pistol. This was one of Ascarus's more private personas. I'd graduated from a guest who needed to be impressed to a guest for whom impressions had already been made. This persona was for friends. Its face was subtly different from the professional personas. Its features were softer, expressions looser. Not from any change in the bone structure, but from how muscles had been laid down. So, so, Ascaris pulled their chair closer, eyes shining. For the first time, I felt that we weren't so different in age. We were only two years apart. How many of my selves do you think you've seen? Four? Close! Ascarus clapped their hands. You've seen five! Ah, now I see it. Ascarus hadn't been testing to see if I could recognize their different personas. Ascarus must have had multiple friend personas to fit it into different group dynamics and manage differing levels of intimacy. They'd been testing which version of them, as a friend, best worked with me. And that they were testing at all was an indicator that they wished to deepen our relationship. What do you want from me, Ascarus? I hadn't wanted to ask them that at all, even if that was what I'd wanted to mean, but the question was between us now. Reasons, Ascarus said without hesitation, and perhaps possibilities. What does that mean? From what I've observed, you're not stupid, Seizo. Work it out. What do you want from me? I knew what I should have wanted, and it wasn't to be making friends with individuals. I needed reasons to dislike them, so that I'd feel no loss rejecting them before they rejected me. I guess the same? We lapsed into silence. Then, quietly, Oscaris broke into laughter, and I joined them a moment later. Then, quietly, Ascaris broke into laughter, and I joined them a moment later. There were parts of me I didn't like. There still are, of course. There were parts of me I longed to run away from or kick down and keep kicking until they were bloody on the roadside, and I could trick myself to think they'd never resurrect again. But I'm not a individual unbound by taboo. There was no amputating those parts of me, There was no amputating those parts of me. No surgical removal of that tumor of self-loathing. I couldn't trust not to metastasize. In the midst of two undivided humans doing their damn best to die on the trolleys, despite all of Dietrich and mine's efforts, I froze. It was only for seconds. I needed to decide something. I can't even remember now what it was I needed to decide, but I remember how my hands stopped moving. It was a bad day. in so much as in the clinic, every day is a bad day because people don't go to doctors on their good ones. But this one came with a shadow that crept over everything I looked at. When I came through the door, Oscaris, on a day off after a series of night shifts, took one look at me and guided me to the kitchen. They gave me a glass of water, just as refreshing as the one when the well wards had gone to my head. When I finished the glass, there was a persona of Ascarus sitting opposite me at the table that I hadn't seen before. I recognized it instantly. This wasn't any of the personas they sent out to their friends, but the Ascaris who I lived with, observed, and come to know, who wanted reasons and possibilities and was willing to allow me the same. This was my Ascaris, the persona they had chosen and wanted to be for me. Warmth rushed through me. I had felt so cold all day. I welcomed the kindness. Tell me about your day, Seizo. My wish to be rejected once and for all from the individual and undivided alike melted away. Freezing over a patient had just been the beginning of it. The undivided humans had needed blood, and although there had been enough to provide for them, that was when a reality I had long been avoiding had hit my sleep-deprived and overcaffeinated mind. The average salinity of an undivided human's blood was 0.9% by weight. Mine was more than double that. At 2.3%, it had had me going back and forth between hospitals and research centers ever since my parents were murdered and my uncle took me in. My earliest memory is of a nurse shuffling monster game cards, distracting me whilst a doctor took blood from the crook of my elbow. All the cells of my body functioned best at a salinity that an undivided human's blood cells would shrivel to husks in, and individual cells would burst. Until seven years ago, I was a medical anomaly. Then, they sequenced a individual's genome. Individuals and the undivided were suddenly both humans of different kinds, separate but close enough for the sequencing to matter very much to me. A university I'd regularly been tested at offered to sequence my DNA. I learned that I was born from one undivided parent and one individual. From a mitochondrial DNA analysis, the individual was determined my macrogametic one. My uncle had refused to tell me about my family. He wouldn't even tell me which parent he was related to me by. But where my uncle never told me who I was, modern medicine at least told me what. It had hit me, this day in the clinic, how very much alone I was with this body. How difficult it would be to help it. And I thought of how someone, someday, might pause, freeze over me. Like I'd done with my patient. And it would be karmic retribution and something like destiny and punishment for being so grotesquely selfish when I had someone else's suffering in my hands to think about. The panic was overwhelmingly irrational. I felt embarrassed telling Oscaris about it. Nothing in my brain in that moment in the clinic had made the remotest sense. Yet the fear and the loneliness had been so terrifyingly clear. What do you think? I think said Ascaris, as steady as I needed them to be. You're mixing two very separate concerns into one and confusing yourself. I'm a hybrid human, mixing two separate issues into an irrational one seems fitting. Aren't you afraid that you don't have a place in medicine as a career? Or a place in medicine, in humankind in general? I can't answer that, Ascaris, not today. No, no, I don't expect you to, for what it's worth, Ascaris went on, tendril twisting behind them. Failing to make a decision quickly could have devastating consequences, but making the decision could do just the same. That's not much comfort. It's not meant to be. I looked down at the whirls in the tabletop. You said before about reasons and possibilities. Reasons give decisions the illusion of clarity. Ascaris poured me another glass of water. Possibilities allow you to pick your battles. What are you trying to decide? I imagine something similar to you. This table is from my well filter. They pushed the glass across the table. The concentration of solutes in it is idealized. Do you understand what I'm saying? That shadow was back behind their eyes a shadow that was scared to be spoken. You knew I was a hybrid from the start? When I took the glass, they let out a sigh and covered my hand with theirs. Only from when you reacted to the well ward. That should have had no effect on an undivided human, but I didn't know. I guessed at best. Then I looked closer. They placed a thumb to the side of my eye, as if there was an edge of a mask there. Perhaps it takes one who knows to look for it to see it. Your face changes, Seizo. It shifts, like one of our children still learning to sustain a persona. It's slight, barely noticeable. If I was an individual raised to expect to see it, I doubt I would have thought it more than the light's trickery. So that's why you've been staring at my face lately? There's that. And there are worse things to be looking at than a man who's a braver human than I am. scarus winked, then, with an incomprehensible sadness, withdrew their hand from mine. You'll find your reasons and possibilities, I'm sure of it. So will you. I snatched their hand up before it could escape me and gripped it tight. I held on to them, then, against the turmoil rising from the back of my mind, You opened your home to an undivided housemate to do so. You're brave, Ascara. you will find your reasons. Reasons for bearing who I am, Ascara said lowly. Possibilities for surviving my own mind. Is that what you want from me? Ascara sat forward, studying, I thought, the minuscule shifts of my own face. I suddenly felt very stupid and not in the least bit capable of helping anybody. So much for a medic's oath or empathy. How could I possibly offer those to you? They kissed me. It fell into place as naturally as the perfect cadence at the end of a simple song, their lips no cooler or warmer than mine. I felt them smile the shifting dune of it between us. I've made my observations, they murmured. Now, I've only to recognize my own conclusion. They used our joined hands to push us gently apart they disappeared into their well. I didn't know that they had hidden away until Dietrich told me that Ascaris had taken sick leave and that the individual doctors had been gossiping about it. When no one had seen Ascaris for three days, I decided to risk the well wards. Their effect on me had faded. Maybe Ascaris and I had become too accustomed to each other's company, or myself too at home in their house. Somehow I'd built up a resistance to it. I walked towards the dark at the end of the corridor. I heard Ascarus's voice. It rose up from the well in whispers, almost indistinguishable from the rough tongue of water lapping at the well's walls. They were talking to themselves. I shouldn't have needed to be worried. A Individual who talked to themselves using its different personas to confront their thoughts was considered to have an organized mind. It was encouraged in splint, upheld as a virtue. And yet, what whispers I could hear sounded neither like dialogue nor discussion. There were too many gaps, too many indifferent silences. Ascaris? I stood at the well's edge, taking care not to put my face over it. The acid warning had not been a joke. Ascaris, are you all right? My voice echoed. The whispers stopped. I imagined them, frozen in the dark, stuck for their reply. I waited and waited, and was about to call down again when they answered. Yes, I'm all right. They sounded so tired. Did you work out your reasons and possibilities? Come to a conclusion? A conclusion? Water sloshed below. They let out a harsh bark of laughter. Do you still want to see what's in this well, Seizo? It's taboo, isn't it? Between strangers, but we're rather past that. They drew in a deep breath. Come down here, Seizo. What? You heard correctly. What about the anti-trespasser acid? I'm asking you to trespass. Come down, Seizo. Please. So you can see. See for yourself why I'll never come to a reasoned conclusion about anything. Their voice tugged me downwards as gently as the softest of tides. Okay. I pulled off my socks, took the phone from my pocket, and switched on its screen for a pale blue light. I'm coming down, Ascarus. Thank you. I'd better not get a face full of acid on the way. They laughed. Mind your steps. The joke was there weren't any steps. Individuals didn't need them to get out of their well. I clambered down using fistfuls of damp moss, planting my feet on the stones in the wall that Ascarus used to feel their way out. I had to hold my phone between my teeth to see where I could put my hands. And after a few minutes of climbing, predictably, it slipped from my mouth. Ascarus caught the phone before it splashed into the pool of salt water below. Careful, they said, helping me down the last meter or so. They let go as soon as I was standing in the lagoon. The water came up to an inch above my ankles, soaking into my trouser hems. They cracked an uneasy smile. Hello, Seizo, how was your day? What's going on, Ascarus? Could you hear what I was saying from up there? I shook my head. Ascarus pointed the light of my phone to the center of the well. Look at me, Seizo. The tree trunk of Ascarus's heart pillar rose, shimmering out of the shadows. Fleshy violet roots crept across the floor, tangling with the moss and trellis on the walls. From the pillar's side, a single rippling tendril stretched to the persona who stood in front of me. Ascarus's voice was small. Can you see what's wrong with me? I nodded. I shouldn't have, because there was nothing wrong with Ascarus at all. But I remembered then our first morning, how i would pressed for answers about cutaway personas and the effect upon the individual, whether a individual who lost personas would be seen as lesser, missing fragments of their spirit, and deficient. A individual is meant to live with their personas divided. All the different faces they presented to the world at large were stored in their pillar well until needed either inflated as personas to tidy the well or deflated to rest. Ascarus had five or more personas. I knew because I'd seen them all, spoken to them all, discerned them all by sight and sound. I ought to have been seeing them all here, tied to their pillar by or as their tendrils. There were no personas here except for the one that stood before me. Ascarus had only the one face, the one tendril. And if I hadn't seen their other faces, I would have said they had only the one lonely persona. But that wasn't true for them, just as it wasn't true for me. Part of me as a coward, says I felt their eyes on me, gauging my reaction as I took in their empty pillar well. I imagined them sitting on that trunk, wondering for years why they couldn't separate out their personas like all the other individuals could. I hate that part of me. It can't look itself in the eye and accept itself for what it is. If I could, I'd have cut that part away from me and drowned it in this very well. You wouldn't have. I wish I could agree. Before you came, I almost did. I only stopped because of my unique circumstances. They gestured at their single tendril. If I cut my tendril, I'd cut all of myself away. Everyone knows what happens to a individual who cuts off all of their personas. They die slowly, trapped alone in the dark of their heart-pillar well, unable to see, eat, talk, be. That's why they made it taboo, Seizo. The amputations got out of hand before. People kept cutting away, cutting away, because after your worst part was gone, there was still the next worst and the next. Now we all live with a constant temptation and fight it daily, because our bodies say there's an easy solution right there. The ordinary individual would be able to talk between their personas and come to an arrangement, an understanding about that part of us. But as you can see, I can't do that. So reasons to bear with yourself, I remembered their words, aghast. Possibilities to survive your own mind. I wanted to see how you undivided did it, when you couldn't separate out yourselves and had all your different personas occupying one mind at once. I wanted to see if you were the one-dimensional cutoffs our elders say you are, or as complex and whole a person as you all claim to be. If you were, then I thought I could be, too. I could learn to bear my own selves in this one skin, this one mind. Scars clutch their head, digging their fingers into their hair. But I don't know how to make myself recognize a conclusion that I've come to in a way that isn't the individual way. All our ways say that I need a persona to separate out and look in the eye, so that I can come to terms with myself and my decision. I can't use a mirror. You cannot talk to a mirror. So, these three days I've been trying to do just that, even though I know it's futile. Stupid, isn't it? So irrational. It wasn't. Not when they'd been told it's the done thing. I stepped forwards to pull their hands away from their head. But you're not a individual, are you? They closed their watchful eyes. I'm not. Just as I'm not an undivided. You must have guessed, Scars whispered, still refusing to look at me. I gave you water for my well filter, adjusted for my body's salinity, and you said it refreshed you. I've touched you, and you've never shuddered from the chill of it like other undivideds do. You're a hybrid human, I said, realization coming to me on the back of my own wondering words. Like me. Yes, Seizo, like you. Then why don't you use me? I grasped their shoulders. Look me in the eye like you'd look at another of your personas and recognize me. Acknowledge that I can live as I am. I've one face, even if it does change, and one mind, occupied by all my personas at once. Can you recognize me as a human in your eyes? In the pale blue light, they looked like a ghost that might disappear with the dawn. Yes, then you can recognize yourself as one too. You've been told you're deficient and wrong, that you're a freakish monster that should hide who they are in their well for life. None of that is true. The world doesn't know us. In their eyes, we didn't exist until seven years ago. But we aren't new. We've always been here. And they've been using their stories and taboos to kill us young before we grew big enough, loud enough to be seen and make them see us. I wanted to tell Ascaris all of that but I'd never been good with words. I put my hand to their violet face, tried to convey how warm it made me feel as it chased away that fearful loneliness that had crawled in me for years. I had come to Splint to be rejected here, too, to confirm that I was right to believe I'd always fall into the unacceptable in-between. I'd wanted to make peace with the loneliness of that promise, but, well, the world didn't care for what I wanted. I said, conclude your observations, Dr. Tsai. Ascaris opened their eyes. They looked at me and said steadily, to conclude, I have reasons and possibilities plenty to survive who and what I am. I could see all of them, every one of Ascaris' personas, crowding behind the skin of their softly shifting face. Discussion questions. One, what would be the advantage or disadvantage of being able to isolate, show, and use one isolated aspect of your personality as needed? Two, how many personas do you carry with you and show to others? What are they? How do those personas in you form or disappear over time? What makes individual personas more pronounced or distinct in you? Three, Ascaris, the individual in the story, says there was a time when individuals would cut away personas they found undesirable. If you could do that with yourself, would you? Which would you cut away? Four, does everyone have various personas they show or use in different situations? Or are there people that have and use only one? Why are there people who use only one? Five, Ascara says, everyone knows what happens to a individual who cuts off all of their personas. They die slowly, trapped alone in the dark of their heart pillar well, unable to see, eat, talk, be. Is the author trying to say this is what happens to real people if we don't access all of our personas? Do you agree? What do you think? Let's continue the discussion on our companion podcast, After Dinner Conversation Discussions and in the comments section on our website or on Facebook. Links are in the description. Thank you for joining us and we hope to hear from you soon.